this is so important to me. This is so important to me that I didn't want anyone because we have such faithful servants downstairs with our kids and our preschoolers and our nursery. And this is so important to me that I didn't want anyone to have a reason to have to miss. And so our elders and their spouses and our staff and their spouses all gathered together a couple weeks ago on a Saturday night or Friday, on, on an evening, and we went through this um, so that the elders, spouses, staff, and spouses can be downstairs serving so that you, like, there's no, I want you here. That's how important it is to me. So know that our leaders have been through this first. Um, we're doing this because it matters. This matters to God. This matters to me, and it should matter to us. And then my last thing I want to implore you with, and this is something that has been convicting uh, to me, but I pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this, is as we walk through this content of what it looks like to uh, be God's people who are unified, I'm going to implore you, please listen and engage with this with a mirror and not a magnifying glass. Okay, listen with a mirror and not a magnifying glass. It would be so easy for us, and I've done it, I've done it. It would be so easy to listen and go, you know who needs to hear that? You know who really needs to get their head wrapped around this? And anytime that comes into your head, anytime that thought starts to percolate, just, I, I just want you to replace it with me. You know who really needs to hear this? And I just want you to cut it off right there and go, I need to hear this. Because it's so easy for us to judge other people's uh, intentions and judge, or our intentions and others' actions, all, all of that stuff. But I want us to be transformed. And there's a, there's a whole heaps of humility that we need to walk through this with. Um, and so we are not going to exit today going, I'm going to, I mean, no. We're not going to exit today going, I think I'm going to send that sermon over to uh, so-and-so. I think I could really stand to, to hear that. Uh, that's not what we're doing. We're here today uh, for us. We're here to grow as God's people. We're here to be molded and shaped into God, into who God is wanting to mold us and shape us into. And we're going to leave today a transformed people. And we're going to do the same next week and the next week and the next week. So this is for you, not other people. And uh, just trust the process that if it's for you and not other people, that you applies to every single person on the line. So listen for yourself. Don't think through situations through the lens of how others treated you. Think through with the lens of how you treated others. So, <coughs> as we begin, I want you to think in your head, what do you feel like the church of Jesus, global church, every person that gathers under the banner of Christ, what do you think they're known for? Because if I, if I pressed, and I did this with our leaders, if I pressed, uh, very few of the things would be Jesus-centric at this point in time, which is unfortunate, but I don't think it's totally unfixable. It seemed like a lot of the things that, that came up and rose from that line of questioning, as I've asked several people along the way, seems like what the church is known for is its divisiveness and maybe some controversial views, and, and we, we can go back and forth with that person on like, yeah, but they're biblical, but yeah, they're controversial. Like, but the thing that is, is not at the forefront of people's minds when they look into the church from the outside is, man, they really love each other well. Now, you can probably point to exceptions along the way of 
well, I was a part of this church back whenever, and we really did it right then. It was great. I'm so happy for you. But by and large, we have not done our part as God's people to be a unified under the banner of who Jesus is. And we're going to talk about all this in a little bit. But we have not done our part to be a unified people that as the world looks in, they see a gathering of people unified around the common cause of Christ. So John 17, John 17, Jesus um, is uh, praying He's praying right before he's arrested and the flogging begins and the torture begins and all this stuff. And he prays for a few things. He prays for his disciples. He prays for um, himself. He's, he's praying for all of this stuff. And then in chapter, or chapter 17, verse 20, he prays for this. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone, meaning his disciples. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, meaning that the ones they pass it on to and they pass it on to and they pass it on to, anyone that comes after them, us, my prayer is also <coughs> for them. And what does he pray for? <clears throat> he says in verse 21, I pray that all of them may be one. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the, hear this, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them to the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. <clears throat> and then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. May they be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So in Jesus' final moments before uh, the ultimate uh, d- demise and, and flogging and crucifixion, all of this takes place. His final moments, he's found praying for us. And he could have prayed for a whole host of things. He could have prayed that the people that come after them uh, would have like a really solid uh, understanding and, and a solid biblical theology. Like, God, give them right belief. But he doesn't. He, he could have prayed, God, please make it so that they don't, over, uh, don't encounter any obstacles as they take the good news of, of Jesus to the world. But he doesn't. He could have prayed absolutely anything, but in this moment, Jesus, in a time of communion with the Heavenly Father, prays, Father, make them one. Why does he pray this? He prays it so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So this idea of our unity, of our oneness, is inherently, let me use a big word here, inherently missiological. Our unity is directly connected to, to an outside world who is hurting and hopeless and in desperate need of the good news of Jesus. Our unity is directly connected to that message going forth. So that, make them one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our unity communicates to an outside world of the truth and the evidence of Jesus. So, this is where we we draw the circle around ourselves, we internalize a little bit and go, is connection churches unity? 
We're going to talk about the universal church, but we don't have control over any other church that gathers. We can only, we can only affect what happens in here. And Lord willing, we'll begin to build relationships and it'll be beautiful. But we can only affect what happens in here. So it's connection, church's unity. So beautiful and so evident that when people look in, they go, there is something about that. I have seen groups of people gathered for an HOA or a sports team, but there is something about what is going on over there that is wholly different than any other experience that I've had. Is our unity an evidence for the personhood and the work of Jesus? But this isn't just in John 17. This is a resounding theme throughout all of Scripture. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 12. He says, uh, verse 4, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ, though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. See, we are all members of one body. One body. Not like a little body that meets here on Townway Road, and another body that meets over on Voorhees, and another body that meets up in Bismarck. We are, as Jesus followers, we belong to one body. And then inside of that, Inside of here, here at Connection Church, we are one body. We don't have like uh, the young families and the old families. We don't have like the people who have been here for a long time and the people who are a little bit newer. No, we belong to one body. Just as Jesus prayed, Lord, make them one. Our unique contribution, your, specifically you as an individual, your unique contribution to what is happening here is the very thing that makes us whole. It's the very thing that gives us the like, unique markers and identity of who we are, and it is you coming to the table, bringing the best of what you have that makes us God's people. And so if any time those fractures, those things begin to take place and we aren't unified and whatever happens, any time that starts to happen, we are not one. But where does this, where's this identity? Where does this oneness, where does this unity come from? In a world that seems so divided at every turn, where are we getting this, this theme from? And see, this would have been foundational to God's people, people of Israel, and in fact, so foundational that he put it in front of them, and he gave them something in Deuteronomy called the Shema. Now, the Shema was a prayer that the people of God would have recited morning, evening, afternoon, and it would have been like, I'm going to repeat myself who God is and what I'm supposed to do with myself. This is, uh, we talked Concrete Kids a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how uh, we were supposed to teach this command to the next generation, how vital that was for us. So here's what it says. Hear, O Israel, hear, O Israel, listen, comprehend, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Jesus prays in the garden, Father, make them one as I am in you and you are in me, all this stuff. Paul talks about in Romans, uh, we are one body, and it comes from, from uh, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, another way we can come at that one is not the, the digit, the, the single, solitary, only, but instead, it is whole. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is whole. In him there is no division, there is no fractures, there is no disunity. The Lord is one. Goes on to say, like we talked about, love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, and mind, strength, teach it to your kids. But this is what we're supposed to be teaching, that the Lord is one. And because we, as God's people, have the unique imprint of God on us. We've talked about this. As everything's compiling together now. Uh, we have the unique thumbprint of God. We're made in his image. We've been restored. We're his redeemed people, his holy, his holy nation set apart. Because of that, we then have this unique imprint of oneness, of wholeness of unbrokenness. We then have this command that, that, we, that Jesus said, like, Lord, make them one. Make them whole. Make them unbroken. Now this, I, I hear you, because I grew up in Columbia City, Indiana, the Midwest. The Midwest uh, founded by pioneers and people who went out and uh, worked the land, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing, and uh, people moving west from the early settlers, and uh, uh, it, it is a hard concept for me, because we have been taught, we have been taught in our western minds, and, and uh, we've been taught to encounter every life situation with a fierce individualism. Like a fierce, uh, I'm going to go get for me and my own, and I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to bootstrap it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do what's right for, for me and mine. Don't hear me. Hear me here. I don't want you to, I want you to have some responsibility. I want you to go and get, get what you need to do and all that sort of thing. I just don't see lots of that fierce individualism in Scripture. I just don't. But time and time again, what I do see in, in Scripture is wholeness and unity and a group of people making the collective whole. Because we are the body of Christ. It's a, a theme that's used over and over again. We're a body of Christ. We're made in God's image. We have this wholeness, this oneness, this, this unity but we are more connected than we act at most times. It is so easy for us to view what happens here under the banner of Connection Church as a bunch of individuals that show up on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and various times throughout the week and maybe get together in homes and that sort of thing as a, as a group of individuals who gather together in the same place. But that is just not the case that Scripture is making. We are 
one. Just as the Lord is one. Nowhere else on this planet, too, I talked about this, and this is what uh, Sam George brought this up when we went through um, this as as a leadership. Um, Nowhere else on the planet can you uh, find something that represents God in this way. Because uh, to a certain level, yes, you can have a unity or a wholeness on a sports team or in an HOA or a PTA or uh, XYZ, whatever the letters you want to fill in there. Um, <clears throat> you, could, you could have some unity and some like, collective, like, yeah, this is something, something's happening here. This is good. But uh, to a certain extent, like, that's all, it's, it's only temporary. It's only going to fall apart because in, it is Jesus that is unifying us. Make us one, make them one as, as I and the Father are one. And ultimately, nothing else is going to be able to bear the weight of that unity. Nothing else is going to be, the bear the, uh, going to be able to bear the weight of that pressure when, when things start to shake and there's some division in the HOA and you're, you're like, oh, I'm not quite sure about this or the board of directors or, or whatever it is. And it starts to shake, starts to get a little bit rough. Nothing else is going to be able to support the weight of that other than the creator of the universe. It just won't be able to happen. So we are the only entity on planet Earth that is able to live this out in a way that points people to the goodness and the truth and the connectedness and the unity and the oneness and the wholeness of God. And so our unity, this oneness, this wholeness, isn't just, it can't be, it can't be just an afterthought for us here. Of like, we'll gather together in this building, and we'll do some programming, we'll, we'll sing songs, we'll pray, we'll open up God's word, we'll do all of this stuff, um, but uh, we, I'll, I'll let some beef simmer between me and that family over there. I'll, I'll, I'll leave some things unresolved. I'll, you fill in the blank. Our, uh, our unity cannot be an afterthought, because this matters and it's something that we have to constantly put in front of ourselves. When we look, when, when people from the outside look at our gathering, I've asked this a couple times, when they look at Connection Church, the people that call themselves members, like the people that gather here, do they see the beauty of God because of our unity? And then when people look at our interactions with other faith gatherings, with other churches that meet in Danville and the rest of the world, do they see the beauty and the wholeness and the oneness of God because of our unity? That's a, that's a tough question to answer. That's a tough question to answer. I would argue the fact, because I've been a part of churches for a long time, and so this isn't like I'm pointing fingers at Connection Church uh, because of specific examples, but I'm pointing fingers at Connection Church, and I'm pointing fingers at myself as a part of Connection Church because I've been a part of churches and I know what it's like. We don't fight for unity. We don't work and strive to keep this thing as a, as a whole. We don't fight for wholeness. Maybe because it's hard. Maybe because we don't want to. Maybe because it's easier to hold grudges. We have to. We have to. This matters. Because an outside world is watching. Let me ask you this. What do you think 
what do you think the largest, this is audience participation, what do you think the largest living organism in the world is? Raise your hand. If you, if, if you like just played Trivial Pursuit and you without a shadow of a doubt know the right answer, let me, let me hear some other wrong answers first. I don't, I don't know, I'll just let, try it out. What do you think? A blue whale. That's a great guess. That's a great guess. Blue whale. Can anyone top blue whale? Those giant trees, Carl, is that what you were going to say? The sequoias, okay. Giant trees, sequoias. I wonder which weighs more, a sequoia or a blue whale. Probably a blue whale, right? <laughs> a living organism. I didn't say animal. <laughs> no, I'm doing living. An animal is a living organism. So we got sequoias, we've got uh, blue whales. Any other guesses? What do you think? Coral. Coral. That's a good guess. That's a good guess. Coral. Maybe the Great Barrier Reef. Maybe Rainforest. Rainforest. Okay. Good guess. Good guess. Anybody else? Blue whales, sequoia, coral, rainforest. I love you all dearly, but those are all wrong. Mr. Hall, let's see. Largest living organism in the world is, it's called Pando. Okay, Pando, P-A-N-D-O. Pando is a, uh, a stand of aspen trees in Utah. And on the surface, uh, did, you say, did you say rainforest? On the surface, it kind of looks like a, a bunch of individual trees. But over, uh, pop to the next one, over the course of 108, 108, let me say it again, 108 acres, over the course of 108 acres, they've done DNA sampling, all of the nerdy scientist stuff, and have discovered, pop to the the last one, uh, have discovered that this giant uh, 108-acre tree, stand of aspen trees, shares a root system with and has almost identical DNA. I trust the scientists on this. I don't know how to explain that to you, that trees share DNA. I don't, I don't know. But uh, they, as they've researched and they've done, they, they've noticed that uh, there's this big collective root system that on the surface looks like a lot like the rainforest where it's like a bunch of individuals. But it is deeper than that because they share a root system, meaning this, meaning this. If something happens on this side of the 108 acres fire, chop down, weird tree fungus, you fill in the blank. Uh, And there is a need over here. This side of the the, the 108 acres of Pando uh, senses that and begins uh, siphoning off nutrients and siphoning off stuff that's needed for that side. And through this massive root system, stuff is sent over, and you begin to see this very Acts 2 approach to treehood with, like, they're sharing together, and they're living in community, and they're breaking bread in homes, and they're, uh, and they're uh, submitting themselves to the teaching. They're living together, and they're sharing all their possessions. And you begin to see this picture that's painted for us in the trees. 
that there is more than, than the individuals, that there is this oneness or this wholeness. That when one of the trees of Pando is chopped down, it doesn't happen in isolation, but in fact, uh, a large stand, uh, several dozens of acres uh, stand of aspen trees is then missing one of its members. And, and what an image of us as Jesus followers uh, for our involvement in this thing that we call the church body, God's people, God's family. Because it's not a matter of whether or not we are connected. Because as soon as you say yes to Jesus, as soon as you submit your life to following Jesus, you are signing up for being connected. But it is how we engage with that connectedness that matters. It's how we interact and care for one another that matters inside of this family. When there is a division, when there is disunity, it doesn't just affect the direct people involved, like the two people with a conflict or whatever. It affects the body because we are one. So a few weeks ago, Nathan Lunster and I uh, went golfing. He only beat me by just a few strokes. I just need everyone to know that because everyone's talked about how good of a golfer he is. I just need everyone to know. Was he rusty and did I play one of the best games of my life? Yes, but he only beat me by a few strokes. Uh, and I came home from that with this like three-week severe nerve pain in my shoulder. And uh, it was like, I could, I've never been in pain like this in my life. I went to the chiropractor, we did massages, um, we, we tried every remedy that we could for it. But it was never an option for me to slice the shoulder blade out and just remove it because I didn't want to deal with it anymore. It was never an option for me to remove the problem because I was like, we have to somehow figure out this problem. And that's how it is as God's people. You can all day long say, oh, I'm going to remove myself from that particular gathering of believers. I'm going to remove myself from where they gather geographically. But you can never remove yourself from being a part of God's people. And so it's something that has to matter to us. We have to take this seriously is how we're treating the divisions and the brokenness inside the body. When fractures happen, when things aren't unified, it doesn't just affect those people, it affects us all. We're a group of individuals who make up this unified whole body. We are connected. John 13 says this, a new command I give you this is from Jesus. A new command. If you're in your Bible, circle the word command. Love one another. Talking about the church. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. Hear this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is a new, what? Command. A new command from Jesus. Love one another. But if you've been around church for any number of, probably clock it in months, you could probably put together a few weeks uh, that are good. But if you've been around church for any period of time, you'll know that this is a struggle for us often. 
We don't always act out of love. What's the definition of, I'm looking for not something like deep and theological here. I'm looking for like base level, elementary school. What's the definition of sin? Someone give me something just real bad. Okay, maybe a little bit above. (laughs) I maybe set the bar too low. Uh, Bad, yes, sin is bad. That's good. Good answer. Uh, Sin is bad. What else? What's the definition of sin? Doing wrong, who's the the determiner of wrong and right? Like, what if my wrong is different than your wrong, AJ? Who's the determiner of wrong and right? This is a real softball for you. God, thank you, Amanda. God is the determiner of wrong and right. Uh, Why? Uh, The Psalms talk about this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein of it. Uh, Why? Because he founded it. He, may, he created it, so he gets to be the moral compass. Uh, and so when he says to do something, we're supposed to do it. And when he says to not do something, we're not supposed to do it. At a very base level, that's what we're talking about with sin, is disobedience to God. Jesus, who is God, says here, a new command I give you, love one another. Talking about this family in here, this church family. Love one another. If it is a command from Jesus, oh boy, we need to take this seriously. If this is a command from Jesus, then not doing it, not engaging in love with one another is, brothers and sisters, hear me on this. I want to say it emphatically and as clearly as possible. If we do not love one another, it is sin. It's sin. It is sin for us to be broken. It is sin for us to be broken and not fight for wholeness. It is sin for us to pick fights with one another. It is sin for, to, for us to let grudges be held onto and not forgive. It is sin. Greg Holder, senior pastor of The Crossing, kind of cultivated all this material, says anytime and in any way that we fracture Oneness. So think through your, your experiences anytime and in any way that we fracture oneness. <coughs> we are going against God's plan and we are sinning. So when we gossip about people in this room or people outside of this room, that fractures wholeness and that is a sin. When we get in a disagreement, it's not the disagreement that I think is the sin, but when we get in a disagreement and we refuse to come to the table for healing and to talk about it, that is a sin. When we, when we talk behind others' backs, that is a sin. When we judge or accuse, uh, this one is, it was convicting for me. When we judge uh, or accuse uh, other faith gatherings, other churches. That puts division in the relationship, and that is sin. When we do anything, and you can, you can use your imaginations here, when we do anything that goes against God's plan of wholeness and oneness, 
when we say little snide comments because we think it'll go unnoticed, or when we, when we, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. When we do anything, it's sin. It grieves the heart of God. Jesus says, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples. Everyone's going to know by how you love one another. <coughs> this idea of, of oneness, um, uh, we talk about, hero Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord is one. And we have this inside the Godhead baked into who God is. It's a mystery. I don't fully understand it. Um, uh, but we have baked into that idea that our God is three in one. So we have the Father, and we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. And the Father is the, is the Son, and the Son is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy, they're, all, they're all God. And it's a, it's a mystery, and it's a little bit confusing, <coughs> and, it's, uh, and I don't understand the interaction, but we do have this, I've heard it described as a beautiful dance, that the Father creates everything. And so again, it's all God. The Father creates everything, breathes it to life, holds it, sustains it here, to get, here, here today. And, and then we have Jesus who reconciles all creation unto himself, unto God. And then we have the Holy Spirit that walks with us and is with us on the day to day. And you get this beautiful dance of all each playing their own individual parts, but at the same time creating this idea of oneness because there is, there is no division in this. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's no division inside of this. And so you are not able to tell where the Holy Spirit stops and the Father begins or where the Father stops and the Son begins because inside of they're all uh, 100% equal and fully God, truly God, and, and they all hold this together. But it's a mystery. It's, it's a mystery. So how, as we talk about the oneness, what are some ways that you have heard this idea of the Trinity explained. What, what is some, because this is like, anyone spent any time in children's ministry, this is like cream of the crop sort of material stuff of like, how can I explain the Trinity, this mystery that adults will never fully comprehend, how do I explain it to kids? What are some, let me hear some examples of like, I've heard the Trinity explained like this. Don't worry, I'm, we're not going to call you a heretic if it's, if it's not quite there. Which is, what are some examples you've heard? I just want to hear different examples. I'm not learning. An egg. Shell, yolk, and white. Yeah. Anna? Yeah. You are Hannah, but you're a daughter, a sister, and a wife. Yeah, good. What else? Johnson, this is your chance, man. Spaghetti. <laughs> Spaghetti, yeah. It's all mixed up there together. We don't fully understand it. Johnson was telling us a small group a while back that he had a... Uh, was it a youth pastor or a children's pastor? Children's pastor just dump a pot of spaghetti on the floor and go like, that's the Trinity. I was like, yeah, it's, it's there. So spaghetti. What else? What else? What else have you heard? An, I've heard an apple. You got the skin. It's all an apple. You got the skin. You got the flesh. You got the seeds. I've heard ice. Uh, sorry, water. You got ice. You have liquid. And you have... Uh, Steam, vapor, thank you for whoever said that, because I was not, was not going to be able to think of what that thing was. Um, 
Uh, yeah, lots of different examples. I, Jenny said it, but I've heard, uh, <coughs> I've heard the egg before. And, and that uh, we have this idea that you got the shell and you got the, the yolk in, inside of here and you have the, the white. Um, and, and, but it's all, it's all egg. It's all egg. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But here's what I know, okay? When we have disunity, when we are not whole, when we are not one, I don't care how you describe the Trinity. This is what it looks like. It's broken. It's broken. And it grieves the heart of God. When we allow disunity, when we allow unwholeness, we just create a big mess out of things. We go against God's plan. We go against his intention for creation. We go against his design. And this is what the world sees. We just have to fight for better. We have to fight for better. Our unity is the thing that witnesses to a hurting and broken world that God is good and that God can be trusted. By our oneness, the world will know that that Jesus was sent. And too often, and I can talk about specific examples here in connection, or I can just talk about generally because I know Jesus followers. Too often we have let this be the evidence of our lives and not the unity and the oneness. That when people look at us, they see the beauty of God. That when people look at us, they see God's goodness because we are connected. And we don't let division be the thing that gets us down. But instead, we fight for healthy and biblical conflict management. And we're going to talk about that next week. We fight to make sure there's no divisions or cracks being formed inside of us. We fight for oneness because it matters. Because it matters to God. So we have to, we just have to, with everything in us, to, to fight to be of one heart and one mind, like it says in Scripture. We have to strive for unity at every turn, at every conversation, at every interaction we have with one another. We have to be working towards unity. We have to. We have to have hard conversations. I don't like it. If you know anything about the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 7, and Enneagram 7s love to avoid hard things. It's not fun. And I don't know of anyone else in the world that's like, I love having hard conversations with people who I'm disagreeing with. I love it. But we have to. We have to have hard conversations. We have to work through con- conflict. We have to support one another and bear one another's burdens. We have to. So from here, uh, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to take communion together. 
And uh, each, each week this month, we're going to be taking communion together because um, these are all like lofty thoughts and these are all really important things, but we're, we're just totally incapable without the help of Jesus. We're totally incapable of this whole unity thing. We're totally incapable uh, of living as a family who is whole and who is having hard conversations and breaking down those walls. Uh, and we're totally incapable because we can't do it apart from the work of Jesus. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. Like it was, it was the blood of Jesus that tore down the dividing wall of hostility. So there's no more divisions in between us, but instead we're working towards wholeness. So we're going to remember that um, each week this month uh, by taking communion. So logistically, here's what it's going to look like. Um, I uh, have a song. Matt's going Matt's to queue up a song here. And um, I'm going to ask for you to just take a, a couple moments to reflect because this is, this is important stuff. This matters. And then when you're ready, uh, the communion is going to be down here up front. And um, when you're ready, come grab it. And I want you to reflect on what the song's saying. I want you to have some conversations with God. Uh, I want you to look at that mirror that we talked about at the beginning and say, God, where have I actively worked towards uh, disunity? Where have, I not, where have I not upheld the oneness and the wholeness of your body? And I want you to grab your stuff, take it back to your seat, hold on to it. We're going to take it unified together as God's people. And then we're going we're gonna to hear uh, Psalm 133 again. And then I'm going to pray for us as we go. So uh, let me pray. The song's going to play. Take your time. Come get it when you're ready. And then we'll head back to your seats and we'll take it together. <coughs> Father, we are we're grateful that your uh, blood, that your work on the cross made a way for us. Made a way for us to be unified. Made a way for us to be together. <sighs> And we do come now and we ask forgiveness for the times where we haven't fought for that unity. We ask for forgiveness for the times uh, that we have actively, in fact, uh, contributed to the disunity. So draw up situations in our minds now. Use our imaginations, Lord, uh, of situations that we need to repent from, of areas of our lives that have actively sown discord, and Father, we trust you uh, with our unity, with our wholeness, with our oneness. And, and we recognize that we can't have it apart from you. So as we draw these circles around ourselves now and focus in on your work on the cross, may you bind us each together. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.